I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to the fifth day of Christmas, December 29th, in the AIC seasonal video series, The Twelve Days of Christmas. The key word for today is obedience, demonstrated in the lives of St. Mary and St. Joseph. Obedience is not a popular word in a culture obsessed with self-gratification. Obedience, in the theological sense, does not mean allegiance to the dictates of politicians, generals, or even bishops. Obedience means obedience to the will of God. In the church, there are no better models of obedience than the Blessed Virgin and the Blessed St. Joseph. Scripture tells us that the Blessed Virgin was chosen by God owing to her virtuous life. Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, and blessed are you among women, announced the archangel Gabriel in Luke one twenty-eight, when he appeared to her at Nazareth in the sixth month after John the Baptist, the forerunner and last prophet of the Old Testament, was conceived in the womb of Mary's previously barren cousin Elizabeth. The illustration for this and the next five slides are details from a mayor of Munich stained glass window at St. Joseph's Villa Chapel, Richmond, Virginia, in the AIC bookstore publication, Paintings on Light. Information about all our AIC bookstore publications can be found by using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net or directly using my Amazon Author Central page, https colon right slash right slash www.amazon.com right slash author right slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shibley. Please note that everything after dot com must be in lowercase letters. Mary was understandably puzzled by the Archangel Gabriel's greeting. Gabriel reassured her in verses 30 to 33, saying, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We can safely assume that Mary, raised in the Jewish household of her parents Joachim and Anne, knew that bearing a child not that of her espoused husband might subject her to death by stoning, or at the very least to her rejection by her betrothed husband Joseph. Mary asked of Gabriel in verse 34, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Gabriel explained, saying in verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Gabriel, perhaps sensing her reservations, reminded Mary in verse 36 how her cousin Elizabeth had conceived in old age six months earlier, then declared confidently in verse 37, For with God nothing will be impossible. 
Mary heard this unqualified reminder that she should place all her faith in God without reservation. She said to Gabriel in verse 38, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. The illustration for this and the next four slides is from a late 19th or early 20th century stained glass window, probably by Mayor of Munich or F.X. Zettler, Franz Mayer's son-in-law. Mary calls herself a maidservant of the Lord, meaning she has placed herself as subject in all things to his divine will and command without regard to risk of life, limb, or reputation, without demanding further explanation or doubting, as did Zacharias, the husband of Elizabeth, when Gabriel visited him, in, as described in Luke 1, verses 19 to 22. Mary afterward visited her cousin Elizabeth, who was carrying in her womb the unborn John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one destined to prepare the way for Christ. St. Luke tells us in verse 41 that at Mary's presence, the unborn infant John jumped in Elizabeth's womb. Thereafter, Elizabeth said in verse 45, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Mary then sang the Magnificat, found in Luke 1, verses 46 to 55, the first of four songs found only in St. Luke's Gospel. The Magnificat is a variation on the Song of Hannah from 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 to 10. In Anglican worship, it is the first canticle in evening prayer. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. She went on to cite all that God had done for her and for the chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, and quote, to his seed forever in Luke 155. St. Joseph is our second model of obedience to the will of God where St. Luke's Gospel tells the Nativity story from Mary's perspective. In St. Matthew's Gospel, it is told more from Joseph's perspective. In Jewish practice, one was betrothed or espoused about a year before the marriage contract was completed with an actual marriage ceremony. The news that Mary was filled with child about six months into the marriage contract and without sexual relations between them caused Joseph though, quote, a just man in Matthew 1, 19, to reconsider. St. Matthew tells us that Joseph had no desire to make Mary a public example, that he considered, quote, putting her away secretly, unquote, which we should take to mean that instead of pursuing divorce on grounds of infidelity as the law allowed, he chose instead to keep the matter a secret. The illustration for this and the next three slides is a detail from a mid-19th century stained glass window at the National Shrine of St. Francis Assisi, San Francisco, California. It was then that an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid 
to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's from Matthew 1, 20 to 21. The angel reminded Joseph that this was the fulfillment of Isaiah's so-called Emmanuel prophecy in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Emmanuel means God with us. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. We rely on St. Matthew's text of verse 123 for an account of Joseph's obedience. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. In St. Matthew's Gospel are three more examples of Joseph's obedience to the will of the Lord, which was voiced to him through an angel. In his sleep, Joseph was visited by an angel who issued a warning in chapter 2, verse 13, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And obedient Joseph took the holy child and St. Mary his mother and fled to Egypt. The illustration is a circa 1420 A.D. illumination in colored ink on paper attributed to the master of the Morgan Infancy Cycle from manuscript additional 5005 folio 52V in the collection of the British Library, London, England. Herod's destruction of the children of Jerusalem was discussed on the third day of Christmas, December 28th, on the theme of compassion. After the death of Herod, the angel came again in a dream in Egypt, saying in verse 20, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. And again, Joseph was obedient. The illustration is a watercolor over graphite on gray wove paper by James T. So, drawn between 1886 and 1894 from the collection of the Brooklyn Museum. The third and final example of Joseph's obedience to the will of the Lord comes as a result of another dream. St. Matthew writes in verse 22 that Joseph was, quote, warned by God in a dream, unquote, concerning the risk of coming under the control of Herod's son and successor, Archelaus, and that as a result, Joseph turned away from Jerusalem and went into the Galilee. The illustration is Matthew writing his gospel in illumination in colored inks and gilt on German watermark paper attributed to Master Michael Medovartsev from a Russian Orthodox gospel book made in the last quarter of the 15th century from manuscript Egerton 3045, folio 10V, in the collection of the British Library, London, England. On January 1st, the eighth day of Christmas, we will celebrate another example of Mary's obedience, in this case to the Mosaic Law, demonstrated in her submission of her child Jesus to the Jewish ritual of circumcision. In the Anglican tradition, the event is commemorated in the hymn, The Ancient Law Departs.
The music is a flute and harp duet of Cecil Francis Alexander's Carol for Children, once in Royal David City, published in 1848 A.D., and played to the tune Irby, composed by Henry J. Gauntlet in 1858. On the fifth day of Christmas, December 29th, we remember that both the Blessed Mary and Blessed Joseph memorialized in the illustration in a 19th century stained glass window at Basel Cathedral or Basel Minster. Although they did not know or understand what the purpose of the Lord might be and what they were asked to do, nevertheless, they obeyed. Please join us for the sixth day of Christmas, December 30th, when the key word is joy, and the focus is on joy expressed in scripture, hymns, and Christmas carols. The illustration is jubilation in heaven over the fall of Babylon and illumination in tempera and guilt on vellum from the early 11th century manuscript of Revelation, the Bamberg Apocalypse. As I used it in the AIC bookstore publication, Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. Thank you.